Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. This is your host, Joel Dover, and welcome to Season 3. Hey, we study Bible prophecy here from a dispensational, pre-tribulational, premillennial point of view, and we're always rapture ready. Grab your copy of God's Word and let's jump in together to see what the Lord has for us here on the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. Well, hello, friends. Welcome back to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. So glad to have you on the program today. I want to invite you to go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word as we jump quickly back into Revelation and chapter 13. We have a tremendous amount of material to cover today as we finish our look at the seven key players of chapters 12, 13, and 14. And uh, I want to just review those with you very quickly. We've been introduced already to the woman who is Israel, to the fiery red dragon who is Satan, the male child Jesus Christ, the angel Michael who is the captain of the angelic army, the offspring of the woman who are Christians, of course, the beast from the sea, the Antichrist, and then today we'll be looking at the last key player in the remaining Revelation narrative here as the Lord is beginning to wrap things up uh, and, uh, of course, take us all the way to the second coming of Christ. This is the beast from the earth, or who we might call the false prophet. So if you have your Bible, we're in chapter 13. I'll be looking with you in the New King James Version of the Bible, and we trust that God will speak to us in a tremendous way. So we are now turning our attention to the final key player of Revelation, the beast from the earth or the false prophet. And as we get into this text, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 13, we're going to learn that the Antichrist is assisted in accomplishing all of the things that he will do that, of course, combat the work of the Lord uh, through an individual who is satanically empowered and whom we call the false prophet. So let's get into verse 11, and let's see John's first look at the false prophet here. The Bible says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Why don't we pause there for a moment? So another beast, you know, this is the second beast. The first beast, the Antichrist, comes out of the sea. Now in John's vision, the second beast comes up out of the earth. And the Bible is clear he has two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. Horns like a lamb, spoke like a dragon. Some commentators have suggested that since the themes of horns so far in Revelation speak of authority, that this would indicate the authority of the second beast over two realms, perhaps the religious and the political. Again, I look to history and to parts of the world today teaches us that political and religious coherence have led to some of the world's greatest atrocities. Wherever, friends, government and religion have become bedfellows, one corrupts or compromises the other so that either religion becomes the extension of a political agenda or politics becomes the extension of a religious one. Now, this, of course, as you know, manifested in ancient Rome in the form of a state religion And in many parts of the world today, state religion rules the day. It is illegal in many places to practice the religion, uh, any religion other than that which the government sanctions. And it all has to do, of course, with power and control. Now, the beast who comes up from the earth, he has the appearance of a lamb. The first thing, of course, that comes to mind when we think of that, he has the horns like a lamb, is that we think about the Messiah, uh, who is gentle, who is not dangerous, who is uh, peaceful. Uh, We think about Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. It's a familiar uh, image of Jesus, the Messiah. But the Bible says that this beast, although he may have uh, had the appearance of a lamb, that he spoke like a dragon. This is a picture, of course, of his true affiliation. The dragon, of course, we've already learned, being Satan. And so it may be that he appears as a lamb. He looks like a lamb. 
But when we hear his voice, we learn about his affiliations, his motivations, his agenda, the things that he speaks. They are the same as the first beast. In other words, this false prophet is not what he claims to be. He has the appearance of uh, peacefulness, of godliness, of, of, of Messiah agreement. But he is a false prophet and his words give him away. Now, in verse 12, the Bible reads, And he exercises all of the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. The Bible says that he exercises authority, and that is the authority of the Antichrist, the first beast, in his presence. So they are together. They are uh, affiliated one with the other. They are in the presence of one another. And he attends to the will of the first beast. He's in the presence of the Antichrist. What a pair. What a pair these two are. And thinking about exercising the authority of the first beast, it's that authority which the Antichrist has, which also empowers the false prophet, that satanic, uh, demonically empowered, satanically empowered agenda of the last days. And so the Antichrist actually works uh, behind the scenes to, to, to advance Satan's agenda, but the false prophet is what spreads it to the entire world. So interesting. Now, the Bible says that the false prophet is responsible for causing all on the earth and all who dwell in it to worship the Antichrist. So clearly, we're talking about a last day's global religion here because we're talking about inhabitants of the entire earth, the whole earth. Everyone who dwells in it will be uh, compelled to worship the beast by this false prophet. It's a last day's global false religion that worships the Antichrist. I want you to really understand that because we're coming into a section of Scripture here which confuses many people, especially when we begin talking about the mark of the beast here in verse 16 and 17. But I want you to understand that everything that happens here is connected to the worship of the Antichrist, which is, of course, perpetuated in the world by this figure, the beast from the earth, the false prophet. Now look at verse 13 and 14. The Bible says he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and who lived. Second time we've seen that, uh, a, a, a mortal wound, a deadly wound that was healed. Verse 12, now we find that he was wounded by the sword and he lived. So the false prophet now is a performer of great signs. But the Bible is clear that these are demonically empowered signs. They're false miracles, false signs, false wonders. These kind of things will follow him. And of course, people that don't know their Bibles will be deceived by him. Now, I want you to just take your mind back to Exodus chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9, when Moses and Aaron encountered the magicians of Egypt. What's so interesting about that account in Exodus, the workers of magic who were doing those things in ancient Egypt, they were performing those signs, of course, by the empowerment of Satan. They were doing signs and wonders, false signs, false wonders that were satanically empowered. If we've been unbelievers in Egypt in those days, and we've been the kind of people who were enthralled by signs and wonders, we might have been persuaded that the magicians of Egypt were of God. Likewise, in the last days, those unbelievers who see these satanic signs, who don't know their Bibles, who do not realize that the Antichrist is a false messiah, that this prophet has been uh, prophesied 2,000 years at least in advance, they will see this, these signs, they will see these satanic signs, and they will suppose that he is God, that, that the Antichrist is the messiah. It's so interesting when we think about 
so many of the world religions today, for example, the Jewish religion, they're still waiting on the revelation of their Messiah. They've missed Jesus. They're waiting on their Messiah. And then the, the religion of Islam, they're waiting on their, on their Messiah figure to come. And it's so interesting that Messiah figure fits the description of the biblical Antichrist. There's going to be a wonderful and great deception across the, the world when he comes. And so I want to just consider the past and consider the future. And let's ask the question, how should believers see these things in the present? So in the Bible, numerous signs and wonders were of God, from Elijah calling down fire from heaven to Jesus feeding 5,000 by the sea. We see numerous examples of miracles and signs and wonders in the Bible. However, since we're speaking of the false prophet here, it should not surprise us that the genuine of God has inspired a counterfeit of Satan. We see this as well in the Bible, such in the days of the Egyptian contest with Moses, as we mentioned, and in the depiction of Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8. But the Bible gives us tremendous helps here. In the Old Testament law to Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 13, 1 to 4, the Bible says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign of the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. This scripture, friends, just very simply tells us that, look, if someone comes with a sign or a wonder, but their message takes you away from the worship of the one true God, the Lord God, Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his Mashiach Nagi, Jesus the Christ, then they are to be ignored. We're not to listen to them. We're not to listen to that dreamer. We're not to receive their signs. Genuine works of God push people towards God, not away from the Lord. Now, Jesus warned of fraudulent practitioners of satanically empowered signs and wonders in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. He said in that text, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." So it's interesting that if you go back and look at the context of Matthew chapter 7, these who are rejected are the false teachers. The context here is false teachers, those who claim to be of God but who are not of God. This is not a situation, friends, where if you're a genuine, valid Christian, you need to be concerned about whether the Lord will recognize you in the last days. No. In its context, Matthew 7 is about false teachers, uh, false prophets who are doing things in the name of the Lord, but they do not belong to the Lord. Jesus also says in Matthew 24 and verse 24 that one of the marks of the last days would be false signs and wonders. In that text, the Bible says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And so, listen, validation by signs and wonders that are satanically empowered signs and wonders will be one of the, the, the things that ushers the Antichrist into power. Now, I want to be clear with you. I do believe in miracles. I do believe in signs and wonders. I do believe in healings. I do believe in the mighty power of God. I want to say to you that a counterfeit has no, val no value where there's not also the genuine article. And so let me caution you against being uh, skeptical of these things, but also let me caution you against getting caught up in the signs and wonders movement. 
I want to say to you that as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, our focus should be the person of Jesus Christ, not a sign or not a wonder. We're not chasing the next experience. We're chasing the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you, listen, to be in hot pursuit of Jesus Christ, not chasing after the next sign or wonder. Just be in pursuit of Jesus, be rooted in sound doctrine, let the Bible be the authority in all matters of faith and practice, be yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit, and be discerning to neither discount the original or to be deceived by a counterfeit. There's a key word here I just want to put on your plate and have in your mind, and the key word is balance. The Bible says that the false prophet even makes fire come down out of heaven upon the earth. We were just mentioning Elijah, the true prophet of God, who of course in his confrontation with the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, called down fire from God out of heaven, lit the flame on that wet wood, wet wood fire that he had built. Just wonderful account of God's power in Scripture. And what's clear in the Scripture is that he deceives the earth by those signs, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. I want you to understand that these are deceptive signs. They point people towards worshiping the Antichrist. They pull people away from the Lord. They take attention away from the glory and the wonderment and the majesty of the one true God, and they put it on this false Messiah figure, the Antichrist. Now, the Bible goes on and says that the false prophet instructs the people of the earth to make an image of the Antichrist who was wounded by the sword and who was healed. In verse 15, it seems like the Bible is speaking of a specific image, something that would be manifest and seen to the entire world, because in verse 15, the Bible says he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So there's something interesting here. The false prophet is able to animate in some way this image that is made of the beast. It speaks. It has um, the authority to take life. It, it, it kills anyone who would not worship the image of the beast. I think what's interesting about this is that if we look at Christian commentators, all the way as far back as the 3rd century, this has historically been understood to coincide with the abomination of desolation. That is, when the Antichrist, at the three-and-a-half-year mark of the tribulation, sits on the throne of God in a rebuilt temple and declares that he is the Lord. Apparently, this image that the false prophet makes is placed in the temple of God, and I don't know, perhaps it is animated by a demon or somehow satanically animated, but it, it becomes animated, and the world sees that, and the false prophet, of course, requires and it admonishes the entire world to worship this particular beast. Now, in verse 16 and 17, we find that global commerce now, in the midpoint of the tribulation forward, becomes tied to the worship of the beast. Look at verse 16, 17. The scripture says, he, again, we're speaking of the false prophet, this global false religion. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And then verse 18, we'll get to this in a moment. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Okay, let's talk this through because there's a lot of confusion about the mark of the beast in the Christian community today. I want you to note that the mark of the beast comes in the tribulation period. So, I remember when COVID-19 hit and uh, people were talking about the vaccines. There was talk in my community about, hey, is this the mark of the beast? Could this be the mark of the beast? Or, uh, you know, a chipping situation or a tattoo situation. Uh, listen, I want you to realize the timing of this. The mark of the beast isn't today. The mark of the beast comes 
in the tribulation period, and specifically after the abomination of desolation in the second half of the tribulation, which we call the Great Tribulation. Now, the Bible says he causes everyone. Who's he? He is the false prophet, the leader of this global last days religion. He causes everyone to receive a mark on their foreheads or on their right hands to specific locations. And who's included? Small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. That is from the uttermost to the guttermost. Everyone is forced to receive the mark in order to participate in this economic society. Now, the Bible says that it is received on the right hand or the forehead. Some scholars have referred to this as the anti-Shema. Now, you know what the Shema is, if you're familiar with Judaism. The Shema is a Jewish prayer derived from Deuteronomy chapter 6. In the Hebrew, it's Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Forgive my Hebrew, that's the best I can do with that. But the prayer is the centerpiece of the morning and evening prayers in Judaism and is the boldest statement of monotheism in Judaism. In the English, it is Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then following in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them, listen, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, here in Revelation chapter 13, the Bible says no one is able to buy or sell except that they have this particular mark. There are some scholars who believe that this is a replacement of the Jewish, you know, uh, frontlets, if you will, the, the the replacement of the Shema on their hand or on the frontlets between the eyes. No one is able to buy or sell, that's clear, except that they have this mark. And the mark appears to be in two forms, either the name of the beast or the number of the beast. Now, good scholars disagree about whether this is a literal mark or whether it's symbolic for something else like an RFID chip or for a barcode. To me, though, it seems absolutely clear that whatever it is, it is first absolutely of the Antichrist. Secondly, an identification of agreement with this policy, his system, his political, economic, and religious agenda. Three, it is forced upon those who would conduct business in the marketplace to buy or sell. And four, it will make life hard for Christians because Christians cannot receive the mark and remain Christians. Why is that? Because it's not just a tattoo. It's not just a, it's not just a chip. It's not just a it's not just a barcode. It is a pledge of allegiance to worship the Antichrist. In Revelation chapter 14, and we'll get there, of course, next time, in verse 9 to 13, the Bible says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works will follow them. Let me say to you, friends, it will be easier to die in the Lord after the midpoint of the tribulation than to live on as a Christian in the system that the Antichrist sets up. 
I want you to understand unequivocally, though, the importance of this mark and its connectivity to the worship of the Antichrist. The mark of the beast, friends, is a declaration of loyalty to worship the Antichrist and his image. You cannot take the mark of the beast by mistake. You will not be tricked or fooled into taking the mark of the beast. It is connected to this last day's global religion. It is advanced by the agenda of the false prophet who leads this last day's global religion on behalf of the Antichrist, who is satanically empowered to do false miracles, signs, and wonders to convince the world. And of course, it represents worship of this Antichrist who apparently receives some sort of mortal wound, apparently who is slain in some way, and who is the recipient, of course, of a false resurrection. Think again about Antichrist. Anti means in the Greek, similar to Christ. So it's not that he is the opposite of Christ, it's that he imitates Christ. He seeks to take the place of Christ, and it would appear that he is, of course, uh, advancing a false resurrection claim in these last days. Okay, in verse 18, we're almost finished. The Bible says, Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, 666. Now, I want to just propose to you that some of the things that are written in the book of Revelation are not for us. Some of what's here are for the people who will come after us. They will be relevant in the time of the things that come to pass after the church is raptured out of the world. Good men have made many fallible attempts to decipher the 666 code, and all kinds of patterns can be made to fit. Listen, let's avoid the temptation to proclaim a particular political figure to be the Antichrist. Clearly, for these believers who are alive in the tribulation, there won't be need to speculate. It will be clear, and the Bible says, listen, that those who have wisdom, that is Christian wisdom, they will be able to understand the uh, the relevance of 666 and how that is the mark of a particular man. Okay, so lastly, as we close, I want to just expose you to a new idea that we haven't mentioned yet in this study. Some people see the operation of the dragon, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, that's Satan, the Antichrist, and false prophet, as sort of a satanic imitation of the Holy Trinity, wherein the dragon is a fraudulent father, the Antichrist is a fraudulent Christ, and the false prophet is a fraudulent Holy Spirit. Some see the dragon as orchestrating it all, the Antichrist as the incarnation to be worshipped, and the false prophet as the one who draws the world to worship him in a similar measure as the Spirit of the Lord draws lost people to worship and to surrender their lives unto the Lord Jesus Christ in true biblical Christianity. As we conclude, let me challenge you to search your own hearts. God would not have us to be deceived, but to know the truth of God. And I'm thinking of John 3.16 as we close. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Friend, I pray that you know Him that you would not be deceived in these last days. Thank you for listening to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. I wonder if you'd help us to get the word out about the podcast by sharing this with a pastor or a Sunday school teacher, small group leader, maybe a family member or close friend. Be sure to like and subscribe, and we thank you again for listening. We'll see you again next week. God bless.